First Methodist Mansfield. My name is Johnny Brower and I serve as one of the pastors here. So glad to be in worship with you today. And if this is your very first time with us, if you're a guest here, uh, I hope you have felt a, a warm welcome. And if there's anything we can do, any way we can help you, any questions we can answer for you, I hope that you stop by our connecting point uh, just outside the worship venue when the service concludes. On your way in, you received a bulletin. Uh, on the back of that bulletin, I'd like to draw your attention to the space for notes there, uh, a chance for you to record any, any way that God is speaking to you uh, in, the, in the service today, whether it's a song that you want to remember, one of the scripture references, or, or sermon notes. I hope you write that down there. And also, if you'll uh, take notice of the link below, that's a, it's a link to our Grow, Pray, Study guide. Our GPS uh, is a daily devotional guide written by our pastors uh, to not only take you deeper in your daily devotional life, uh, but also to coincide with our sermon series. Uh, and lastly, uh, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Um, it's actually a letter, but we'll call it a book. It's fine. Uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. If you're not quite sure where to find Colossians, if you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament. Uh, and also, if you're using a paper Bible, it's one of those small books that can be kind of hard to find. Uh, so let me do my best to help you out here. Uh, if you turn to the New Testament, the first book is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, does anybody else know this? First and second, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You get, look at you, you all know that, very good. So if you're, if you're in Galatians, Ephesians kind of area, go a little bit further. If you've hit Thessalonians and Timothy, you've gone too far, go back. Uh, you'll find Colossians right there. It's really small, hard to pinpoint. There's your Bible lesson for the day, stuff you learned in Sunday school when you were little. <laughs> but here we go, chapter four, verses five and six. I'm gonna be reading from the NIV translation. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of the scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place and the challenging truth of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And may your character and truth be known in spite of my limitations. Amen. So two weeks ago, we began our series called Invite. Uh, if you've missed any of the last messages, you can go to our website, firstmethodistmansfield.org media, and you can watch or listen to them uh, there and catch up. It's been quite a blessing to be able to share with you over these past couple weeks. Um, as we had a team in Rwanda, and Pastor David was on that team serving there. Uh, they are back now, which is exciting. They all made it back safe and sound. Uh, and so it has just been an absolute honor and pleasure to be here and, and uh, been able to share with you uh, this series, something that has uh, been so timely coming right off of our What's Next series that David shared with us a couple weeks ago, uh, and just kind of where we are as a church, um, a growing, significant church, uh, a message that we all need to be reminded of. This series, Invite, has been about the task 
of evangelism. And the reason we wanted to do this series is that evangelism is an integral part of our Christian faith. Uh, In fact, I would say it's safe to say that the gospel, that which we all cling to, um, is inherently invitational. That the gospel is is the good news that God loves us and is for us. And, And we know this by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And because we believe that every person matters to God and that following Jesus is the best way to live, we dedicate ourselves, we commit ourselves to inviting others into this life that we have found. The problem is, is not only has this word evangelism gained some sort of negative connotations for us Christians, uh, it has done the same, if not more so, for those that are outside the Christian faith. There is this growing divide between Christians and non-Christians, and a lot of it has to do with this word evangelism. Uh, Evangelism is supposed to be this thing that bridges the gap, but instead uh, it, it has been part of the divide in many cases. The, the outside world, the culture, um, is increasingly seeing the Christian faith as irrelevant. And it is our task um, to join into and to re-engage that conversation of faith. So not as to make Jesus more relevant, because Jesus is relevant, but instead um, relevance comes by our engagement. So in the first week we talked about this relevance, that though we, our faith is seen as irrelevant to those outside of our faith, we know that, the, that the Jesus' message is actually very relevant, more relevant than ever. And our task is to bring to the world, to re-engage the world in that life-giving, life-changing message of grace and hope. We looked around that week, week one, we looked around at the empty seats around us. We thought of specific names, people we know um, that could use the good news, to, that could use that gospel of grace and hope. And we laid our hands on those seats and we prayed. And we realized that even in a growing church like ours, there is still room for people to come and hear. Last week, we began to discover what it means to live the invitational life. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. And amidst the fear, anxiety, worries and hurt that happen in life, both to Christians and non-Christians, we are called to be the light in that darkness. We are to be the bringers of peace and grace and hope. We bring the good news. But somehow, the dominant message of our Christian faith has come to be defined by what we're against rather than what we're for. Maybe this is Part of that growing divide between Christians and non-Christians. It exists maybe because of a, this imaginary line that tends to be drawn, this moral line that de- defines who is in and who is out, that says who's on the in and who's on the out, who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. A line that is more concerned about making a point about morality than necessarily making a difference in people's lives and leading them into transformation. Living an invitational life is about breaking down that divide. It's about wiping away those lines. It's about building a relational bridge in order to lead people to God. We saw a perfect demonstration of this in the story of Jesus that we shared last week, um, of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. We find it in John uh, chapter 10. In a moment when Jesus had the perfect opportunity to make a point about this person's sin, that her and everyone around could have heard where Jesus' stance was on this particular situation. Instead of doing that, Jesus stood up and stood between this woman 
and com- condemnation. He quite literally transformed her life. He saved her life. He stood between her and certain death and judgment. His, his actions in that situation matched, matched his message of mercy and grace. And this is the truth that we landed on last week, that our faith becomes authentic when it's lived out in grace and love. That's what Jesus demonstrated for us there, and that's what we hope to demonstrate in our daily lives as well. So in our final week together, we're going to talk about how we use our words in this evangelistic effort. We know what it means to be evangelistic or invitational with our actions now. What does it mean uh, when it comes to our words? This might be the hardest part. How do we express our faith to someone who might be curious about it? How do we express our faith when somebody might be hostile toward it? So to answer that question, we're going to take a look at the Apostles Paul letter, uh, letter to the Colossians. We read that just a minute ago. We're going to look at it again. Uh, first, you might need to know a little bit about Paul. So before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee. And if you were here last week, you heard this. Uh, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you might already know this. But for those of you that don't, uh, a Pharisee is, uh, the simplest way to put it, is an expert in religious rules, right? They're really good at being religious. They know all the rules. They follow all the rules. They tell everybody that they follow the rules. They tell other people that they're not following the rules. They're really, really good at it. They knew them all, and they were really good at drawing that line, making that barrier, creating a divide between those that were religious and good at being religious and those that were not, who was in, who was out. Now, I don't believe this was meant necessarily to be uh, malicious, um, I, I think that this is what authentic faith looked like for them. This is the faith that they grew up with. This is how they experienced faith from a young age. They were brought up in this faith to know that this is the law and that we follow the law and that's how people know that we love God. As we follow these rules, we fit inside um, these boundaries. Not necessarily a bad thing. This is just the faith that they grew up in. And Saul was one of these. He was a Pharisee. Saul even went so far as to actually hunt down these troublemaking Jesus followers for stirring up this trouble by preaching and practicing grace. Uh, They weren't quite teaching everybody necessarily the rules and how to follow them. They were showing mercy and grace, and he wanted to silence those that were teaching this new and different way of living, a new and different way of experiencing God, a different way than Saul was brought up to believe. And until one day, uh, Saul experiences the risen Christ. And in that moment, he changes his heart, changes his name, and changes his mission. Now, Paul dedicates his life to equipping and empowering upstart churches and new believers all over the known world to be the light of the world. And he does a lot of this through his letters. So he ends his letter in Colossians. It's a short letter. There's four chapters. And they, they start and end like normal letters. There's a salutation, and then there's a sincerely or love ya, Paul, at the end, right? And in between, <laughs> in between, uh, one of the chapters is about uh, Paul explaining um, uh, Christ and, and, and what Christ means for a new life. Uh, and then another chapter is about Paul addressing some ethical issues. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ and how we act? But before he ends his letter, before he gets to the uh, love you Paul part 
Uh, he finishes his ethical issues, and then he wants to make one final note to make sure he's clear about, um, one, that he's talking about insiders, people that are inside the church. This, this part's for you, and this part is for you insiders and how you treat and interact with those on the outside of faith. Paul says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. This is what we talked about last week, that our actions speak loudly. They authenticate our faith. Uh, do not miss an opportunity to show grace to outsiders. And then he goes on. Let your conversation be always full of, say it with me, grace. Very good. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of of grace, seasoned with salt. I love that word full because I can just, you, we all know what full means, right? We've, we all have uh, uh, had a cup or something that is a little too full, right? And you be very careful when you're walking with it so it doesn't spill out everywhere. We know what full means. Full means that there is no more room for anything else. Full is full. And our conversation should be full of grace with just a little bit of salt. I think the outsider's experience of Christian conversation has been more like full of salt with just a little bit of grace, right? It, it, it's full of all this wrong and bad and bitterness and, uh, and then just a little bit of grace at the end. You're all sinners. You're terrible people. Don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't watch that. Don't listen to that. That's what you're going to get. This is what you deserve. Guess where you're going to spend eternity? Unless you pray for forgiveness change everything about you, then you can be one of us, <laughs> you know? It's like dump all of this salt on somebody and then that little bit of grace at the end so that you can be a part of us. And this doesn't mean, Paul's not saying that we don't mean, that, that we don't care about morality. We don't care about people's health. We don't care about the way people live their lives. We absolutely do. But that's what Jesus does, is, is do that forming of the heart and the transformation of our lives. Paul says, let your conversations with those that are on the outside be full of grace. Be full of grace. He says in one of his former letters uh, in the Corinthians that it's, it is not my business. Why would it ever be my business to, sell, to tell somebody who is a non-Christian to act like, or to expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian? He doesn't. But he approaches outsiders, those that are non-Christians, with a conversation full of grace. Full of grace. And full of grace means that it looks like too much grace, right? To those on the outside, uh, to those on the inside, it might look like it is full, full is too much grace. You know this, I, I go to a coffee shop every now and again and I get coffee. I want just plain black coffee and they ask, hey, do you uh, want any room for cream? And I usually say no. Um, and so they'll put the cap on and they hand it to me and then I'll stupidly get in the car and I'll try to take the top off to let it cool and the magicians at the coffee shop somehow get it right at the top. You know what I'm talking about if you've done this. I should just start asking for room for cream just, <laughs> just to leave room. But it is right at the top and, and now it's just, just, it's like a bomb in my hands. Like I don't know what to do. I just hold it, just staring at it, just talking to it gently, don't spill, don't spill, you know, because I, I did it right over myself and, and, and I'm stuck. We know what full means. There's no room for anything else. Let your conversation be full of grace to do what? So that you may know how to answer everyone. 
I posted a question on Facebook last week about our barriers. What are our, what are our barriers uh, to evangelism? What are the things that hold us back? And one of the, one of the biggest responses was uh, there's this fear that we don't have all the right answers. There's this fear that we, if we engage somebody in faith talks, um, that they're going to ask questions that we don't have the answers to. They're going to ask big questions, big theological questions. We're not going to know how to respond. Uh, and we feel like uh, our witness will actually be hurt because we don't have those answers. That we feel like if we lose this debate, that, that, um, that people will lose their faith. Uh, that we don't have all the answers, so we're afraid of even starting the conversation. Well, I'll tell you that grace is never the wrong answer. Grace is never the wrong answer. We may not have all of them, but we know grace is never the wrong answer, which is why our conversations should always be full of grace. Let me tell you something, and you probably already know this, but that you will never debate somebody into following Jesus. It never works. You will never debate somebody into following Jesus. Proving somebody wrong, throwing facts and truth around, never convinces someone of the love of God. Never. You rarely, if ever, win somebody over by trying to prove them wrong. Married people, this is where you say amen. (laughs) You never win somebody over by trying to prove them wrong. Even having all the right answers can sometimes be the wrong answer. But grace is never the wrong answer. Now, I would love to just end the sermon here and be done because that was pretty good and we'll, we'll just get out of here, right? Uh, the problem is, is this is not only a relief, but it's also a little frustrating to hear. It's a relief because you're like, oh good, I don't have to have all the answers because grace is never the wrong answer. If I just have grace, and that's, then all is good. But you're a little frustrated because you're thinking, but I do need some answers, right? <laughs> I need to be able to say something and, you know, answers are good and we definitely want to have answers. And, and you know that if you encounter somebody and you invite them to the church and they're like, well, church, I don't know. What about this? They have some really tough question about, well, if God, then why, why do bad things happen? And you know that a satisfactory answer isn't just to give them a hug and then go, how about that? Like, <laughs> was that good? <laughs> now please come to church, you know? They might not ever come to church if you do it that way, but... We know that we actually have to have some answers, that we want to have something to say when people have questions or if they're curious. It's a good thing to have a working knowledge uh, of why we believe. It's good to have answers. It's good to have questions. It's good to seek out those answers. And, and, and as we continue to grow in our faith, we'll find some of those answers. We'll ask those questions and we'll search and we'll study and we'll begin to have some of those answers. But I'd like to give us something that all of us whether, whether you're just beginning in your faith, whether you haven't started at all in your faith, just beginning, or you've been a part of this faith thing for a long time, uh, a kind of a starting point for all of us to begin to develop the words that we could use um, when we want to invite somebody into faith in Christ or invite somebody to church. All right, so this is where that notes section on your thing comes in handy. Uh, they're going to be on the screen, and I invite you to write these down because we're not going to try to answer them here. Uh, these are for you to answer later. All right, here we go. Three questions. First one is this. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Second question is, why the church? And the third one is, why this church? Why Jesus? Why the church? And why this church? 
Why Jesus? Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? What, what grace have you experienced? How has following Jesus transformed your life? Why Jesus? Assuming that you have chosen to follow Jesus, we would hopefully have an answer for that question. And that's, you know, it's, it could be a tough one to answer. This is why we're gonna, you're going to think about this later. But why Jesus? Second question, why the church? Why does a follower of Jesus join together with other followers of Jesus? Why, why do we make it a priority if we move to a new town to find a church to be a part of? Why the church? Why does the church exist? And lastly, why this church? Why have you chosen this church? Now, this question isn't meant to be comparative. It's not meant to say, oh, I chose this church because it's not that church, or it doesn't do like that church does. You know, that, this isn't to be comparative. Again, remember, we're trying to define ourselves by what we're for, not what we're against. But why this church? You are sitting here. You chose to come here today. Why this church? Why this church? This is your homework, so to speak, because it would take a little longer to, to answer these questions. And I want you to have time to really mull this over and think about it and kind of get a grasp on the answers to these questions. But these questions are about you. These are anecdotal questions about your experience. You may not know why bad things happen in this world. You may not be certain about how creation and evolution and all that works. You may not have all the answers about heaven and hell, but you do know why you've chosen to follow Jesus. You can attest to the transformation that has happened in your own life. You can witness to the work of, that God is doing through, through yourself and other Jesus followers. You do know these things, and this is what we call a testimony. It's your firsthand experience of grace. It's not theoretical. It's not philosophical. It's not even necessarily theological. It is real experience of real grace. You may not be able to explain it, but you have witnessed it. You have experienced it, and you can tell of it. And I believe that God honors that witness, and the Spirit of God will work through that witness. Don't believe me? Read the book of Acts. That's what the book of Acts is about. Jesus ascends into heaven, and all of his followers are standing around going, well, now what? Well, he said, be fishers of men. So I guess we'll just start talking about all the amazing things that we saw and what Jesus did for us and other people, and we'll see what happens. And you can read that time and time again, as they are faithful to this cause, that thousands upon thousands come to faith right then and there. And when we combine this faithful witness this witness that we have of grace uh, with our faithful living, and that is powerful. That is powerful, and that is what we call the invitational life. It is a life that lives out its faith. It's a life, a life that is able to articulate what faith has done in and through them. Your life, your words, your actions will be a living and breathing invitation into that same grace. You become a bridge that carries people over that troubled water that has seemingly divided them. They've, they've felt on the other side of this, of this river and they're just looking over thinking, I don't want to be over there. But you create this bridge with an invitational life that leads people over 
to God. You become light in the darkness. It's not about fixing everyone's problems. It's not about interrogating them. It's not about cleaning them up so that they can come to church. It's about inviting them, simply inviting them to come and to hear the good news that God loves them, that God is for them, and that God will never leave them. Let's pray. God of grace and love, you have invited us in to know you, to love you, and to be loved by you. You have also invited us into your great work of reconciling the world back to you, to invite others to experience your transformative love and grace as we have. Let our actions and our words be full of of your grace. And let us be people known by our commitment to love you and others and not by our opinions. Bless our hands, bless our feet, and bless our words as we seek to live invitational lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.